welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, February 29th, we are studying Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 to 31. In today's text, the Lord questions Israel. Is there anything in creation? Is there any ruler of the nations? Is there any idol who can compare to him? The answer, of course, is no. And so the Lord calls upon his people to stop doubting his knowledge of them and to start trusting in his ability to strengthen them as they wait for his deliverance. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor James Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you. Pastor Preuss, you and I have the privilege of this episode airing on Leap Day. This is the first Leap Day episode I've recorded as host of this show, so I'm kind of excited about that. Excellent. That's awesome. That's right. So the next one, have to wait four years until the next Leap Day episode, unless the Lord returns first, which would be better by far. Yeah, this will be one of the best uh, uh, KFUO February 29th That's right. That's right. This is going to be the best February 29th Sharper Iron episode that I have recorded, bar none. So, (laughs) Pastor Bryce, we get to study Isaiah 40 on this Leap Day, the latter part of the chapter. What should we know about the prophet? Any context leading up to this text that'll help us with our study today? Well, the previous 11 verses are some of the most beautiful uh, verses in the whole Bible and uh, one of the most well-known and beloved in the chapter of Isaiah. Uh, For those of you who know that great Johann O'Leary's Advent hymn, uh, you know, comfort, comfort ye my people. I love that hymn. Uh, We sing it every Advent, usually for a couple Sundays, actually. Uh, And it's just based on those first few verses in, in chapter 40. Uh, and those of you who are fans of Handel's Messiah would recognize many of these texts uh, that uh, express God's great uh, grace and love. So uh, it's it's a beautiful chapter. Um, th- there's a, a broader context uh, as well, and that is the chapters, I- Isaiah chapters 30 through 39, uh, seem to be in the context of Assyria's conquest of northern has already conquered northern israel and now it's kind of knocking at the door of jerusalem uh so i mean especially verse uh, chapters 36 through 39 because that's just a historical narrative but uh 30 through 31 it it's the lord rebuking jerusalem for uh seeking aid from egypt uh which is interesting because the Rabshakeh, the military officer from King Sennacherib of Assyria, uh, also rebukes Hezekiah for trusting Egypt, calling Egypt this, you know, broken reed that someone will, you know, pierce his hand who leans on it. Uh, so both King, Second Kings and Isaiah thirty-six mention those uh, th- that uh, event, and then the Lord in turn rebukes Assyria. Uh, I mean, Assyria is right that. Uh, that Hezekiah is wrong to trust in Egypt, but the Lord says to Assyria, you know, I, I raised you up too. 
and both Second Kings 19 and uh, Isaiah 37 record that event. Uh, so that's kind of the context that we have. Uh, Jerusalem is in peril. Uh, you have this mighty king who seems to be just, uh, he can't lose. Egypt runs away from him. Uh, it's it's, it's a, a human power that has not been seen uh, before. Uh, and then if, if you know the story, you know, Hezekiah prays to the Lord. Isaiah gives him comfort. And then they wake up and 185,000 troops are dead from the Assyrian army. And Sennacherib goes back with his tail between his legs and gets, and gets murdered. So then you come in with Isaiah 40 with comfort, comfort, my people. God uh, expressing his, uh, his promise to protect Jerusalem. Uh, that's where you have that, you know, get ye up on a high mountain, or Zion, herald of good news, uh, which is a really uh, uh, beautiful. I think it's a, I think it's a bass part. There's a bass solo in Handel's Messiah for that. Uh, it's it, and uh, so it's, it's great uh, comfort. You also have these uh, New Testament uh, themes. So the, the the prophecy of of John the Baptist coming, so the one crying out in, in the wilderness. Um, and then there's this great contrast to the Lord and people. So the people are grass that are wither away, but the words of our Lord will, will stand forever. So that's, that's the context that, I, that our pericope is entering into. Uh, there's one other thing, and, and that's just that Isaiah 40 through 66, and that's the, the thing that you're going through right now, right? You, you have a yeah. whole section on Isaiah 40 through 66. This has been considered... Deutero Isaiah, so Deutero meaning like second Isaiah. Um, now, commentators have known uh, for centuries, for, I mean, millennia, that uh, Isaiah 40 through 66 kind of has a different theme, a, a different, uh, you know, focus, uh, a different attitude, I guess, or mood than the previous 39 chapters. But in the past few centuries, some liberal higher critics have claimed that these are written by two different authors because they can't fathom that an, a prophet could, I don't know, have a different theme. I think the whole thing is ridiculous. Like if you were to take your Christmas Day sermon and your Good Friday sermon and then just say, oh, well, there's no way that uh, Pastor uh, Apple could have preached both texts because the theme is just so different. And when you consider that Isaiah prophesies from you know, during the, the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And uh, Ahaz reigns for 20 years, and Jotham reigns for 25 years. Uh, I mean, this is decades, 40 to 60 years yeah. of him prophesying, and then all these things are put together. So, yeah, Isaiah's allowed to, you know, change up the theme a bit. Uh, but what we're dealing with now is the beginning of this book of comfort, Isaiah 40 through 66 is God expressing great comfort to his people. And what we have in the pericope for today is the reason why you should trust his comfort. So, I mean, I'm kind of jealous of the pastor who got to uh, talk about comfort, comfort ye, my people, the first 11 verses, because they said such beautiful verses and there's, there's so much to say. Uh, but the, the first 11 verses are just so much more strengthened by the last 20 or so verses uh, that just emphasize that God is powerful, 
the comfort that he says is not empty comfort. This isn't just a friend who doesn't know anything. Uh, he says, oh, don't worry, you'll be okay. Uh, this is the Lord who nothing uh, can stop him, nothing bothers him, can scare him. I mean, he he is uh, the only one who can actually solve all your problems. And here he is coming saying, I'm going to do that for you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. This is where the, the Lord really starts to lay out something that we're going to see throughout this section, that he alone is God. No one can compare to him. And so Israel is absolutely right to put their trust in him and in him alone, particularly in the context of the Babylonian captivity, which, is, as you said, when you start to get into chapter 40, the, the context starts to, to shift a little bit from what was going on in Assyria or with Assyria in Isaiah's own day to now Isaiah speaking ahead of time to those Babylonian exiles, wondering, as we'll see in the text, is their way hidden from the Lord? Is their right disregarded by God? And the Lord here is going to give an absolute no. The Lord does know your way. He does pay attention to you, and you can trust in him. So absolutely marvelous text that provides the the backbone and the background to what we talked about in the previous section. We don't always get to this part of Isaiah 40 because we just love those first verses so much that it's good that we get to study this today. So Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and, whom made, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth, when he blows on them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. 
but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That is our text for today, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 to 31. Pastor Price, our text begins with several rhetorical questions. There are questions sprinkled throughout this text. Take us into those rhetorical questions, what they're asking and what the answer is. Yeah, well, I I really love this because it shows that God is a teacher. Uh, Earlier in chapter 30, he he calls himself, uh, let's see here if I can can find it quick. He he says uh, in chapter 30, verse 20, and he says, And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. Well, every good teacher asks questions. That's how you teach. It's how you get someone to think. Uh, So uh, looking through this in Hebrew, now I have a very rudimentary understanding of the Hebrew uh, language, but I see lots of things that I do recognize. So uh, looking at this text, there's lots of, you know, me, me, me. Me is, is who in in uh, Hebrew, uh, and then you have uh, the 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 ha ha ha. So the that h sound is what you put in before a question. So it's like, uh, do you not? So hello, hello, hello. It's like, do you not know? Do you not understand? Do you not? It, it, it's uh, all of these question marks. Uh, so it, it shows that God is speaking to. His people. Now, granted, he could ask questions to people who aren't his people, but he's he's talking to his people with the intention of teaching them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the questions that he's asking, well, actually, really all the questions that he's asking, they know the answer, uh, or they know that it's an uh, inanswerable uh, or it's an absurd question. So he is trying to call to mind uh, their catechesis, their their catechism. They were taught, you know, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know, that's what they were taught, and he is reminding them of that. You know, the Lord is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He promised to give you this land if you would say faithful to him. So he is calling to mind all these things with these questions. Um, there are a few things. One, he is, with his questioning, he is showing that he is the ruler of the universe, so this person, this God, who is promising great salvation and comfort, is able to give it to them. <clears throat> the next thing he does is he compares himself to all human um, uh, rivals, I guess. <clears throat> Nations, kings, rulers. Uh, he compares them to them. saying, like, do you have my knowledge? Have you done the things that I have done? Uh, do you know these, these things? So you can think about how they trusted in Egypt. Well, Egypt wasn't able to help you, was it? Uh, They trusted in their princes and their kings. They weren't able to help you. They were afraid of Assyria, and soon they will will now be afraid of Babylon. Uh, That's another thing I I should have mentioned earlier. These chapters are preparing them to go uh, into captivity in Babylon. Uh, Chapter 39 closes up with... God saying uh, through Isaiah to Hezekiah, 
uh, that he says, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. So they're all expecting that they're, and he says, everyone's going to be taken to Babylon. Mm-hmm. So God is preparing them for this. Don't be afraid of the king of Assyria. Don't be afraid of the king of Babylon. They're all as dust to me. They don't have power. The next group he then goes after are the idols. And it shows just how incredibly weak they are uh, because they're made with human hands. People make them. They can't do anything. Uh, and then uh, and then after express, showing that all of these things are weak, he then restates that, that question. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. <clears throat> and then... So after he tears down all of these false hopes, he then uh, es- establishes himself as the one who uh, who can help. Yeah, it, it's a marvelous text in that regard. And as you said, there's a lot of this the challenging of unbelief, challenging of self-righteousness that happens. He tears that all down so that then he can build up the, the true faith, which is in the Lord as the only one who gives strength there at the end. We tend, I think, to gravitate to those verses, verses 28 to 31, but we need to hear everything that comes before to have a a full appreciation of what the Lord is giving there in that close of this section. As the the chapter opens, uh, particularly with these rhetorical questions that deal in matters of who created these things, who holds them in his hands, I'm reminded a lot of the way the Lord questions Job at the end of that book. Yeah, that's uh, exactly. That's what I was thinking as well. Uh, well, I think lots of people have thought that. <laughs> but, uh, j- but yeah, so y- if, you, if you know the story of Job, you know, he starts out being very, very rich and wealthy and blessed and pious. And then God pretty much has a wager with Satan and all these things are taken away. And then these three friends come and they give poor uh, advice to him. Uh, but, and Job fights with them. Uh, you know, rhetorically, he's arguing with them because they're trying to get him to pretty much admit that he's done wrong. And now, and he's pretty much saying, you know, I want to face my accuser. God's my accuser. Why won't he face me? Um, and they finally get rebuked by kind of a young whippersnapper uh, who's right. I mean, he's a he's a a, a, a wise whippersnapper. Uh, and then finally, the Lord appears in a whirlwind. And this is how well, he starts off with. I'm not going to read everything, but verse 38 says, "Who is this?" that darkens counsels with words without knowledge. Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. So here God's being sarcastic. Surely you know. Uh, Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk and who or who laid its cornerstone when the morning star sang together or the morning stars sang together and all the sons of god shouted for joy so that's a, a reference to the angels rejoicing when god created the world so and he just keeps on going on and on he starts talking about you know dinosaurs and sea creatures and all these other things well, i believe i believe the behemoth is a dinosaur i don't think it's a description of a hippo but uh it's, it's really one of my favorite things to read because you learn so much about the creation from it. And it's just question after question after question. And the answer is always, yeah, I didn't know any of these things. I have no understanding regarding any of this. 
God, you're the one who did this. And, uh, and that's very much what Isaiah is doing here. He's just like, okay, you're trusting in the king of Egypt, or you're afraid of the king of Babylon, uh, and you keep on ignoring my prophets, and you're setting up idols everywhere. Well, who is it who made all of these things? The land that they're traveling on with their chariots, who laid that land there? Who created the horses that they're, that they're riding on? Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's just uh, it very much is what, is what, Job, uh, what God does to Job, uh, and it's timeless. It's something that can always be brought uh, uh, to our attention. Yeah, I, I just I love the imagery that he uses as he he speaks in these first couple of questions. Even just that very first one, in verse twelve, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? So I I was actually reflecting a little bit on on just how much water I can hold in my in the hollow of my hand. The last time yeah. I did a baptism, which it, it's like, well, that you know, I the the head was wet, no doubt. There was water in word, so it was a baptism. But I looked, I was like, you know, I can't really hold a lot of water in the palm of my hand. Well. The Lord in in the hollow of His hand measures all of the waters of the of the world. That's just a, I I don't know just the imagery that's there. I think it's helpful to to picture these things so that we can kind of like with Job realize just how small we are and who the Lord is in in the fullness of His glory. Yeah, He's got the whole world in His hand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. that's right. Someone should write a song. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's it's an all right. It's an all right kid song. It does teach a good a good point. Uh, yeah. Well, it's funny. I was thinking about this when I was reading it. Maybe this is a, a silly digression. I hope not. Well, it, it'll, it'll serve a point. So when I was uh, about nineteen years old, I helped build uh, some log cabins uh, one summer, and uh, I remember it was one of the cabins was for my 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 family, and I remember sitting in the cabin when it was done. I was looking up, and I said to my dad, "I wonder how much this cabin weighs." And my brother started laughing at me, and my dad just said, "That's I've never, hmm, I've never thought that. That's a weird question to ask." Right. Well, the reason why I asked it is because I, with my body, carried so much of that lumber, carried so many buckets of screws and all of the equipment that went into it, and I was just kind of like in awe of how heavy this would be. Um, and the fact that God, you know, he, we don't even know what's in the core of the earth. Like when you think about how huge the universe is and God just knows all of it, he placed it there and he's in control of it at all times. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, that, absolutely. That's that's a, a great example that you think about all the things that you would lift to build a house. Well, the Lord says he's weighed all all the mountains and he knows how much that weighs and he lifted them and put them in place. Like that's just, a again, to, to marvel at who the Lord is, and to see who you are in relation to Him. That is what the Lord wants His people to do here in the, the prophet Isaiah, not only in regards to the, the creation, with what we've been talking about so far, but with things like justice, knowledge, understanding. You know, I mean, think about the people of Israel in, in Babylon or, or watching Assyria coming at the, at the time of Isaiah. Is the Lord going to give us justice? Well, the Lord yeah. says, I, I, I made justice, no, no one taught me justice. I am the one who who determines what justice is. Again, so not only in terms of the the creation, like the things of this creation, but the the rules of this creation, if I can say it that way, justice. These things are in the Lord's hands as well. Well, yeah. I mean, you think about uh, Luke eighteen with the persistent widow and how you have the unjust judge, 
And Jesus shows that even an unjust judge will eventually get worn out and give you justice. And he's, he's like, I'm the one who, I am justice. I mean, that its source is in me. Uh, and, and how often do we utter the words or the thought, uh, you know, why is this happening to me? Or that's unfair. I mean, it's not just five-year-olds who say that's unfair. I mean, grown-ups say, they say it throughout their lives. They think, oh, this is unfair. This is unfair. Uh, well, God, God is just. Uh, and, uh, and that's actually a wonderful thing to know because it can aid us in our patience. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, uh, these verses from Isaiah 40 that we've been talking about so far, uh, Paul makes use of them in, in Romans 11. Just at least briefly, give us the—how does Paul use these verses in his argument there? Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him— that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. And that's uh, from Romans chapter 11, 33 through 36, 34 and 35. Those middle verses are the actual quotation, although they're a bit of a, a bit of a paraphrase. Um, but it's, it's pretty close to what, what he says. Yeah. St. Paul can do that. He, he's yeah. Allowed. The Holy Spirit can do that. He's allowed to do that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So these these verses show up as, as Paul is rejoicing and giving thanks for the way that the Lord has included both Jew and Gentile, those who have faith in Christ within his plan of salvation. Again, the Lord alone, he is the one who who is God. In him we put our trust. We're going to keep looking at this text from Isaiah 40. More on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor James Preuss this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right. LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, you can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, February 29th. We are studying Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 to 31 with Pastor James Preuss. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we made it through about verse 14. As the prophet continues in verse 15, the Lord says that the nations are like a, a drop from a bucket. They're just dust on the scales. He mentions particularly Lebanon in verse 16 before saying then in 17 that all nations are as nothing before him. At what point is the, the Lord making there in those verses? Well, Lebanon, if you remember, uh, is the source of the 
uh, lumber and materials uh, and much of the skilled labor that went into building the temple and uh, David and, and Solomon's palaces. Uh, so you, the, the sense of all of these trees, I mean, there's just a tremendous amount of lumber not being enough for uh, a fire. Uh, I remember doing a Bible study on, in Leviticus and someone asking, you know, how much wood did they have to be to be making these these fires? Um, well, I mean, that's that's another thing. I mean, but, but Lebanon is huge; just tons of. Imagine just like going to a lumber yard. I'm sure you've seen them. They're just just uh, huge stacks of lumber. He says this isn't enough to offer a burnt offering, and then all of the animals uh, are not enough uh, to to offer to me. And I, this reminds me of Hebrews chapter ten. Uh, where, the, where we'll just say Paul says that the blood of uh, bulls and goats uh, cannot take away sins. So all of these offerings, they wouldn't be enough to appease God's wrath, which really does show that there is only one atoning sacrifice, and that is Christ Jesus. All other sacrifices that are accepted by God are uh, sacrifices of thanksgiving, uh, which are accepted for the sake of that one atoning sacrifice of, of Jesus Christ. But these nations are nothing. They can't offer anything to God. So uh, reading through, I'm, I'm reading through Second Kings right now, and uh, with, with all of them, with all these kings, you know, it'll say, uh, like Asa, I think that's, that's still in First Kings. Asa was a good king, right? But then... You know, he gets in trouble, so then he takes gold from the temple and gives it to a foreign king to, to help him. Uh, and then, you know, uh, all of these all of these pretty good kings. Oh, he was a good king. He didn't take down the high places. And then uh, Assyria attacked him, so he took gold from the temple and gave it to, uh, to the king of Assyria to help him. And he's saying, you know, nobody can uh, pay me to, to change my favor. None of you can offer me anything. None of your gold, none of your offerings, nothing. Uh, I am the Lord. Uh, so I think this is really emphasizing our need for grace. And the idea that like, works righteousness is so absurd because you're saying that you who are incapable of not sinning by your own, by your, your nature, your old sinful nature, that you're going to somehow appease God's wrath. Well, what are you going to offer him? He owns everything. Uh, and uh, so that's, I think that's what he's getting at there. But I, I really like the, the connection with Hebrews uh, 10, that, you know, there's nothing we can offer to God. Uh, yeah. And then he gets, in, then he gets into the, the talk about idols. Yeah, so yeah, let's let's talk about the idols because that's where the Lord turns next. He's he said he is the only one that has created. He knows what is there. He has put the nations in their place. Next, he turns to to the put to put the idols in their place in verses eighteen to twenty. Anytime the especially the prophet Isaiah starts making fun of idols, you need to pay attention. I I love the way that he he gets very satirical in some of these sections. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think about uh, how. Elijah mocks yeah. the prophets of Baal, and he says, oh, maybe he's on a journey, maybe he's sleeping, maybe he's relieving himself. He really uh, mocks them. And then also just the fact that these idols are carved out by people's hands. Uh, they're made after their image, after their imagination. And then he even talks about, like, you know, a poor man 
you know, he can't afford gold, but you know, he'll he'll get some wood, some good, some decent wood. Uh, and it's just all, it really is just all ridiculous. Now, I think one of the problems that we have today, because very few people have idols. I mean, maybe you have some people from some Eastern country that might have like a, a statue of Buddha or some Hindu god or something like that. And then with some of this new age, uh, there's kind of a, you know, re- revitalizing of some of these old pagan things with uh, the occult and such. Um, but for the most part, people don't have golden statues that they venerate. Uh, they don't buy idols. They don't have household idols. Um, and I think sometimes people get a little bit lazy and they think, oh, well, I don't have an idol, so idolatry isn't a problem for me. Well, we do have a big problem with idols. Uh, I mean, you look at look at a phone, like the, the smartphone, which has just taken over the world. Like, like everyone, virtually everyone has. Amish people have. I have lots of Amish people around me, and it's a huge problem. Uh, I was talking to a former Amish guy, and he said that like there was a big bust with the teenagers in the Amish community, and they were all caught with their phones because they, they'll like buy them at Walmart when they go to town, and then they'll get like... Uh, uh, I don't know, like payment cards or however they do it. I don't even know how they do it. And they'll, they'll even have YouTube channels. Like you can find like uh, Amish kids uh, who are like influencers uh, be, because, you know, their parents aren't going to find out. Um, but anyway, I mean, these things, they're, they're, they're idols. They're made with human hands. Everything that you look on them is made from human hands. Uh, some of it's quite disturbing and, and, and very wicked. Uh, and people freak out if they don't have them. They panic. They have a panic attack if it's not there. And you can, you know, obviously the phone's not the only thing. I mean, it's all sorts of things that we have that people trust in. Uh, it's all made from human hands. It's uh, And it's made after the imagination of man. And they ultimately cannot save you. So we shouldn't get it. We should get off our high horse. We say, well, I don't have a golden statue of Baal in my living room uh, and I don't burn incense to any of the, to any of these false gods. Well, you do with your heart. And that's kind of the point. Oh yeah. And it's striking when you start to, to see the idolatry beyond just the little statue that you put up on your mantle or, or wherever you would put it, how you do start to see religious rites start to, to creep up around these things. So just, I mean, with the phone, like we, we, and I, we all have a, a ritual of when we check it and, and what we do with it and where we are with it. Like you start to see these sort of religious rituals uh, cr- creep up around the things that we do turn into idols or with, with a television or perhaps with, with certain sporting events. There's a, a morning ritual. I know, I know football season is over at this point, but especially like Saturday mornings, you, you get up in the morning, you turn on the TV to watch the, the pregame show, or you go to the, it's like going to the Narthex to have your coffee and donuts. Then comes the, the TV and it's the game's on and you're, you're there watching. You can start to see religious ritual surrounding idols and as you pointed out with the, for example, the phone, when there's, you're afraid to lose that or when you become insecure, when that's not in your, in your life like it normally is, that is a sign that idolatry is, is creeping in and, and growing as, a, as an issue for which you, you need to examine and repent and, and put your faith in the Lord Jesus again. So yeah, just because there's not a, a, you're not cutting down a tree and making part of it into an idol and putting gold over it doesn't mean that there aren't idols today. They're 
are always idols around. And I think if I can just one more thing on that, the the key to the idolatry is you made it. What the difference is the Lord's the one who created you. The idol is something that you created. And and I think that's one of the the key points from this part of Isaiah is the idolatry is something you are created, you're trying to take control over. The opposite is the reality. The one true God is the one who created you and he is over you. Yeah, that's that's a really that's a really good point. And uh, we there's a humility in in having faith. Obviously, you know, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But Saint Paul says, "When I'm weak, then I am strong." And we just don't want to rely on on God's uh, strength. So instead, we rely. We think that our, our weakness is strength. Um, I'm also thinking just with sports. Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, it, 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 the Super Bowl is a high festival, isn't it? And, yeah. th- and this is one of the things that's really disturbing. Like, I'm in Iowa. We have a lot of these college football games. I did not know the difference between the Cyclones and the Hawkeyes before I moved here. Uh, <laughs> but, th- I mean... Now n- you do. N- yeah, now I do. N- never miss a game. Like, you can't... You can't this. Oh, God forbid that I miss a game at one of these college uh, uh, games. Uh, and yet people will very freely miss church. And you think about, okay, then are your children going to be Hawkeye fans or, or Panther fans or Cyclone fans? Um, you know, it, well, if you pass that on to them, they will. But will they be Christians? <laughs> will they trust in the Lord who can actually save? Uh, so, yeah, this is, has not lost its uh, relevance today. Sure. Yeah, well, and if I can pick on something else in Iowa that Iowa is well known for, particularly in, a, in an election year, you've got the Iowa caucuses, where, I mean, goodness, you talk about something that has the, the potential for idolatry, and I think it fits well in this context from Isaiah 40, in which the Lord says, he rules over the rulers, that the nations are nothing before him. The, the way we, we act politically is the, it becomes a danger for idolatry, for sure. Oh, yeah. In in both ways, in both ways, uh, when your guy isn't in office and you act like this is the end of the world, well, there you know there are Christians who have a lot worse government than than we do, uh, and quite frankly, even sometimes when our guy does win, and that might not be good for your <laughs> for your uh, faith, uh, especially if you put all your trust in him. So so. So the, the Lord then turns back to some rhetorical questions. As you pointed out, well, the question that we have in verse 21 gets repeated again in verse 28. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Hasn't it been told you from the beginning? And then again, we have both the interplay with the Lord as the one who's over all creation and over all the nations. Take us into verses 21 and following. Yeah. So yeah. So do you not know? Do you not hear? They're supposed to know these things. He's the one who's laid down the foundation of the earth. Uh, I I met a I met a flat earther. No, I shouldn't digress here, but uh, the word for circle is hug, hug is circle, and this, this flat earther pointed out to me that that's not the word for sphere, and that there is a word for sphere used in Isaiah, uh, which is called a ball, like when you throw a ball. He says, so why didn't he use the word sphere? Because they think the Earth is just a circle. Huh. I'm not a flat earther. I just wanted to, to point that out. That Me that, neither. That, <laughs> that is a verse that's used by flat earthers to say that, see, see, it's a circle, not a sphere. Um, anyway, so you, <laughs> looking at, uh, at grasshoppers, um, and grasshoppers can be quite, quite deadly if you're considering the, the plague of the locusts. But yeah, I mean, 
a, a kid isn't going to feel guilty usually if he steps on a grasshopper, right? Uh, these are very insignificant things. Uh, they're they're tiny, and I think it's a really good thing to consider that that uh, King uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, King Sennacherib, uh, you know Joe Biden, uh, are all grasshoppers uh, from the side of God, and and it doesn't matter, you know. Vladimir Putin, whatever leader you want to think of, whoever is great and mighty and powerful, they are uh, as nothing before before the Lord. Um, let's see here. God is the God of the entire universe, uh, and those whom they trust in are brought to nothing be before God. Oh, then he repeats. So have we gotten to verse 24? Scarcely are, they, scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them, they wither, and the tempests carry them off like stubble. Well, he's repeating what he said earlier. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord uh, blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Uh, you know, this isn't tautology. Uh, he's not um, needlessly repeating himself. Again, remember, he's their teacher. That's why he's asking all these questions. And the difference between a student who gets good grades and a, and a student who gets bad grades, I think probably the number one difference, is the student who gets good grades notices when a teacher repeats something. And a student who gets bad grades doesn't notice. Uh, and I think this is actually the way the brain works. Your brain... Uh, naturally forgets useless information. The problem is your brain doesn't necessarily know what's useless and what's not. So I kind of think that these poor students or unbelievers uh, with this analogy, they think, oh, this, he just says this all the time. And they just let it go in one year out the other. But no, when he repeats himself, hey, listen, that's, that's actually an important thing. I think people get exhausted reading Isaiah. They're like, ah, it's so much of the same, so much of the same. yeah. And, and it needs to be hammered into your head until you get it, until you can just recite it. Uh, this should be something that a 12-year-old just says, well, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Every 12-year-old Christian should just, you know, be able to say that, drop that in conversation with his friends uh, when they are talking about things and distressed about things that ultimately don't matter. Yeah, to that, to what you're saying about the repetition in Isaiah, that, that these are themes that are going to come up again and again. I think you were the way you were talking earlier. The the words that were running through my mind that we need to really get from this section of Isaiah is the this is the right fear of the Lord that we are talking about to know who He is as God and the fact that I'm not God and how I relate to Him because He is God and I'm not. That's really the theme here, which on the one hand could be utterly terrifying, but as we're seeing as the text progresses, particularly to the end of our section for today, this ends up being very, very good news for you and for me and for all who trust in this one true God. Yeah, well, and that's why, I mean, the first 11 verses are so important. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her uh, iniquity is pardoned. Uh, yeah, those are nice words, but when you are surrounded by your enemy— or when you are in the depths of woe because of your sin, uh, like who can take comfort in that? So it's good for us to know that we're dealing with the one who 
uh, can conquer all of our enemies, who has the authority to forgive all of our sins. Uh, God is both willing and able. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's good if you have someone who's willing to help, but if he's not able to help, it doesn't do you much good. And it's good to have someone who's able to help, but if he's not willing, that doesn't do you any good. I mean, there are billionaires out there who could, you know, make sure that all of our churches uh, would be funded for the next hundred years. They're able to do it, but they're not willing because they don't believe in these things. Well, you know what, though? We have a God who has more resources than all of them, uh, and, and he's the one that we should be, be trusting in. Yeah, for sure. So he is the only God. Verse 25, another question. The answer should be known by this point if it's not already. Who will you compare the Lord, the Holy One, to? There's no one. He invites you to look up now, to look at the stars. I love I love verse 26, just for the, the connections to elsewhere in the Scripture, where you know he, he challenges Abraham. Go ahead and look out yeah. in the sky, Abraham, and if you can count the stars, go for it. Well, here the Lord says, I can count the stars, which I just love that. <laughs> but yeah. then I think verse 27 is a really key for understanding this whole passage as to why Israel needs to hear these rhetorical questions and answers, why they need the comfort of this passage. Verse 27 gives us some insight into what's going on in Israel that they need to hear these words. Help us especially with verse 27. Well, here he's dealing with unbelief, and this is where this all of this is is about this. God's not just bragging. I mean, what does God need to uh, us to be impressed by Him for? Uh, the, I mean, the, the angels are already uh, giving Him uh, praise for that. Uh, he's trying to get to our heart. So, why do you say? Let's see, where am I? Yeah, why uh, why do you speak, O Israel? And I really think they're saying it in their heart, but they're they're saying it to one another. My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. God doesn't know that the Assyrians are attacking. God doesn't know that the Babylonians are attacking. God doesn't know that we're hungry or starving or uh, don't have food or our children are sick or, or whatever it is. Uh, God doesn't know that I feel in the depths of despair because of my sin, and that I think that I'm going to go to hell. God doesn't care about all these things. So what have I been telling you all these, uh, all of this for? Uh, look who I am. I am more powerful than all of these, and I have given you a promise. Stop trusting in men. Stop trusting in idols. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop acting as if I'm impotent, because I'm not impotent. I'm omnipotent. I am all-powerful, not powerless. Uh, and when you and then when you realize that, you're uh, uh, powerlessness uh, is is much less troubling. Mm, yeah. So so quit quit thinking that the Lord has forgotten you. He has not. Quit thinking that the Lord doesn't know what you are going through, or that he is is not aware of your condition. He is, and he is going to do something about it. Which is where the the end of this text really turns to comfort the people. Now, knowing who the Lord is, what does he, and I think you were saying this earlier, Pastor Preuss, what does he do with this almighty power that he has, with his lordship over the nations, with his rule over creation, what does he do with it? He uses it for your good. And that's where the, the text concludes with verses 28 to 31, with some beautiful language. Uh, uh, we've got about seven minutes here, Pastor Preuss. There's, there's so much we could unpack. Help us, with the, help us with this last part of the text. 
All right, well, I'll read it for the listener's sake. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up their wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Uh, St. Paul says that when I am weak, then I am strong. Uh, It is God's not a bully. He's not just wearing us down for the sake of making himself big. He's wearing us down so that we realize where our help is. Um, and, and Because when we're weak, when you give up on your, on your own ability to save yourself and you trust in Christ, then you have uh, your, your sure foundation. Uh, we can offer no atoning sacrifice. Uh, all of our sacrifices are sacrifices of thanksgiving which are accepted by God for the sake of the atoning sacrifice of Christ. But we can offer no atoning sacrifice. That means that we cannot pay for our sins. Uh, when I was a kid, I had a, a, a kind of an adopted grandpa who wanted to buy, uh, buy me a gift. And I had like $5. And I was like, well, can I help pay for it? You know, I was a kid. And he's like, no, 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 you don't need to do that. Well, it was a really. I, mean, I really wish I could go back and just say, "Hey, don't don't do that. You don't need to help pay for it. He wants to buy you a gift. Uh, you you can't contribute to it." Well, that's how it is with us. We we always want to contribute something to save ourselves. Well, no, God doesn't need our contributing. Uh, verse thirty is wonderful. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. I remember being a young athlete, and very frequently, middle aged men. And older men would make comments like, oh, I wish, I wish I could be in shape like that again. And of course, I am, you know, when you're done with a wrestling match, I was a wrestler in high school. I'm not feeling strong. I'm feeling exhausted and faint. I'm like, man, it's going to get worse than this. Uh, even our strongest are, are fall down exhausted. Well, the Lord doesn't fall exhausted. And this is what a really important point. God is both willing and able. Not only does he not fall exhausted, but he also desires to rescue us. So Isaiah 49 verse 15 again goes to this. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I may, I will not forget you. So a young man may fall exhausted, but I won't fall exhausted. And a mother may even forget her child, but I won't forget you. I am more able and I am more willing to help you than anyone that you could possibly find here on earth. Um, Eagle's Wings is always, uh, so Psalm 103 verse 5, again, references Eagle's Wings. Eagles are uh, great symbols of power always. Uh, So that's a very beautiful uh, passage to remember. Uh, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, uh, as uh, Psalm 103.5. Now, finally, let's see, we have a little bit of time. Uh, yeah, fi- you're good. Finally, I want to talk about, he says, they shall run and not be weary. 
they shall walk and not faint. So he's now, he's talking about how he, how he is powerful, but then he lays this power onto uh, the man. So to the point where St. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, there, we're always fighting against works righteousness, people thinking that they're saved. Now, we know that we're justified by grace through faith alone apart from our works. But there's also a thing called sanctification. Sanctification is the continued renewal of the inner man. Uh, we are striving to go do good. We desire to do good. Now, the question is, is sanctification, is that our work or is that God's work? Now, in one sense, we do cooperate with the Holy Spirit, our renewed self that has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We do cooperate with the Holy Spirit. But we can't take credit even for our, uh, even for our sanctification. We are God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, Philippians 2, if you take Philippians 2.12, it... it it, it, out of context, it, it's terrible. So, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, uh, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. Well, is that, is that works righteousness? Well, then he says in verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So that the formula of concord, solid declaration uh, to free will, uh, concludes this from that. And although the regenerate, even in this life, advance so far that they will what is good and love it, and even do good and grow in it, nevertheless, this is not of our will and ability, but the Holy Ghost. As St. Paul himself uh, speaks concerning this work, uh, this work such will and doing in Philippians 2.13, and as Ephesians 2.10 ascribes uh, the work to God alone. So uh, this is a wonderful thing to remember, that our, our justification and our sanctification is all accomplished by God himself. Uh, when our faith is weak, we turn to Christ. When our faith is strong, we turn to Christ. Uh, when we think that we're doing really, really good, give credit to God. When we think we're doing really, really, really poorly, uh, you know, turn to God and trust in him. Uh, but it, it's, a, it's actually a very comforting thing that God is going to work through those who believe him, in him to justify them, to strengthen them in the faith, to sanctify them, to keep them in the faith until they finally reach uh, their glory. Yeah, he is the only true God to whom none compare. He gives the power to the faint, to those who trust in him. Now they walk and are not faint. All glory goes to him alone. Pastor James Preuss is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. He's been helping us today to study Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 to 31. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Isaiah 40, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.
showing support for KFUO is now easier than ever. You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to kfuo.org slash store and order high-quality KFUO-branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual share for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to kfuo.org slash store.